We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, join our Facebook group at Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. This week's guest is Corey Jenke. Let's face it, in the 21st century, everything rises and falls on leadership and our ability to motivate and inspire others to peak performance. Corey brings a one-of-a-kind approach to driving employee engagement and customer relationships to unheard of levels. Corey's unique program will not only get your organization focused and fired up, he will generate amazing levels of excitement, optimism, and enthusiasm throughout your company that will last for years to come. Corey, welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you very much, Lori. I'm very excited to be here. I love what you're doing, and uh, let's just have a lot of fun today. Oh, that's the kind of show that I like to have, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Let's dive in a little bit. So what is the fastest way to build trust based on relationships with other people? Okay, so the big thing that most people are afraid to do today is to actually trust other people. And that's a great question you asked me. Because the thing about it is, Laurie, you're not going to trust me until I show you that I trust you first. We're all built with mirror neurons and mirror reactions. So when I come up to you and I show you that, hey, you know what? I trust you, not just as a worker, not just as a family member, but as a fellow human being. I'm doing two things. Number one is I'm giving you a space to where you can feel comfortable and appreciated. And then number two, what I'm doing is I'm building my own confidence because what I'm saying is that, you know what, Laurie, if you're one of my employees and I give you a really important task and I trust you to complete it and I don't get my fingers all involved in it and I don't mess with your agenda, What I'm also saying is that I trust myself so that if you do happen to screw it up, then I know that I can fix it. When when you do that, what you're doing is you're actually creating a space for people to feel trust. Trust isn't something that you lend to somebody. Trust is an environment that you create. And you can walk through life in one of two ways. You can say, you know what? People are going to rip me off. People are looking to take advantage of me. Or you can say, you know what? I believe that everyone is my friend. And if people don't perform the way I think they should, or if people don't act the way I should, I need to step into their space and feel what it is like and feels like to be them. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I I love the approach that you're taking here with this. Well, well, thank you. Because one of the things that happens in today's business environment is that we're highly compliance oriented, right? You're familiar with that phrase, business Mm -hmm. compliance. And so everybody is, quote unquote, responsible 
but most people have no authority. So what you see, like in my profession, I'm a pharmacist by profession. So you see pharmacists are responsible for an awful lot of stuff. So they think they have to literally have their fingers in everything. Well, number one, that's a recipe for burnout. And number two, what it does is it creates an awful lot of mistrust because you don't want to do anything for me if you feel like I'm just going to hyper judge you and take away your ability to do it the way you see fit. I love it. I think that, wow, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, let's talk about the successful thinker a little bit. So how can the successful thinker help us build lasting relationships with our families, coworkers, and customers? Well, thank you so much. So the successful thinker is a story that I wrote based on what I was seeing in the corporations that I worked with. I, as a pharmacist, have been doing this for 30 years, working in a small pharmacy inside of large buildings like Walmart and Kmart. And what you would see is that the pressures from above, from the company, would grow and grow and grow. We want you to do more and more and more, and we want to give you less resources, less people, less authority. And so what would happen is that people literally would get sick within these organizations, manager people, pharmacist people, sick with stress, sick with worry, sick with burnout. In fact, in 2008, I wanted to jump off a bridge. It was so stressful. And something happened to me that night. What happened in this night in 2008 where I didn't care if I lived or died, I just happened to stumble into my son's room about 2 a.m. He's five years old, and I, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't want to live anymore, Lori. And then all of a sudden I looked at my son, he's sleeping peacefully. And I, I recognized I had a God moment. I had a come to Jesus moment. And it said, do you really want this beautiful five-year-old to grow up without a father over some stupid job? Right? So I recognized if I was going to fix that problem, what I had to do was figure out not how to do more with less, but learn how to do more by becoming more. So how do you become more? That's the key question, right? Well, the answer to that is you grow your influence. You expand what you're able to do through using other people. So I started trying things, which essentially was what I said earlier, trusting other people with tasks that, number one, I wasn't any good at. Number two, I hated. And number three, I didn't even care if it got done at all. And what I found was that for everything I hated to do and everything that I sucked at, there was somebody that loved to do it and was great at it. So I just started lending authority to other people. And what I found was that when you lend authority to other people and you trust them, all of a sudden you exponentially grow your impact. You exponentially grow your influence and you become much bigger than just Lori or just Corey, right? Because I can only do one, two, maybe three things well. I can wait on customers and make them feel super important. I can grow and empower employees and I can, I can network with the major players like the doctors and nurses in my pharmacy market, but I can't write a schedule to save my soul. I can't negotiate with insurances. I'm just terrible at it. So I started giving this to people. And what I found was that when I started doing that, they started responding in amazing ways. So what we did with the successful thinker is we wanted to take that and then give this recipe to other people so they could get the results that I got. What I didn't want was anyone else to be thinking about dropping off a bridge 
when they've got children, they've got spouses, they've got family members that need them to be the loving, affectionate, fully present person they were born to be. So in the Successful Thinker World, we came up with seven simple things that you can do, anyone could do to make their life impactful, important, and survivable. And so what we did is we wrote into this story, the seven laws of 21st century leadership. And those seven laws, anyone can put into place right now today and become successful and become fulfilled. And you know what? Become a whole lot less burnt out. Isn't that exciting? Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, I've got goosebumps just listening to you talk right now. (laughs) And I think like today, like literally today with COVID and the chaos that our world is in right now, what you're offering a number of people really need. Well, you know, it's the thing is that that's exactly right. Because now with COVID, say as a pharmacy, we're doing COVID tests. This is flu season. So we're doing immunizations. What we've got to do is focus on the things that we do really well. And then we've got to empower the people like in my situation who are giving the COVID test to be able to do that and stay out of their way so they can do what they do. But we also need, and this is super, super important. We need to make them feel important and and, and we need to make them feel like they want to do this stuff. See, no one wants to come to work today to do COVID tests. People want to come to work today so they can feed their families. And what we've done in business in America today is we've really done a great job of alienating the people that we need to serve our customers the most. As a leader, one of the things that makes me just question American business is how do we think we can treat employees worse than we expect them to treat the customers? Does that make any sense to you at all? No, I, I honestly, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you bring a very valid point here. So what we do is we start with an employee-centric culture. And you know what we do? We don't make that uh, a catchphrase, right, or a, a popular India. We actually do something that most people don't do at my pharmacy. We know who Lori is inside and out. And we know what's important to Lori. If Lori's working with me and she loves bowling, we make sure that she gets Monday nights off so that she can go and be in her bowling league. And then we make sure that Tuesday when she comes into work, she feels really important and really empowered to do what she does best. And we start with the first law of 21st century leadership, which is called the law of the contribution. And is it okay if I tell you what that law is? Absolutely. You've definitely got my interest. Thank you. So what I did is I wanted this book to be valid and I wanted it to not be conjecture and I didn't want it to be philosophy. I wanted it to be solid and tangible stuff that people could use. So I got on SurveyMonkey. If you're not familiar with SurveyMonkey, it's a service that anyone can hire to put together a survey of anything they want to survey. And what's great is that you can tell SurveyMonkey exactly what audience you're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. So the people that I was seeing most affected were actually women, 35 to 50 with children and they're trying to be working women and they're trying to manage their home and they're trying to be sexy for their husbands. And guess what? It's way too much, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we said was, what is the number one factor that gives you satisfaction at work? And I listed all the variables. And the one that 67% of the women chose was the reason that work matters to me is if I can do a job that gives me a chance to make a meaningful contribution. Mm -hmm. 
So they chose that over salary. They chose that over vacation. They chose that over everything else. Now I'm a guy. And so that really confused me. What does this mean? The ability to make a meaningful contribution and why do they care? So I went to work and as a pharmacist, I'm working with like eight pharmacy technician women, right? So I asked them, I said, what does this mean? Why did this happen? And without missing a beat, this really nice person named Missy said, Corey, it's the only thing that makes it worth the guilt of leaving your family at home. Wow, right? I was totally blown away. So we wrote the law of the contribution, which basically says you need to take your employees and you need to show them that they matter and why they matter. Because when we flushed this out, what we recognized, you know, years ago, people worked in a car factory, so they made a windshield. So when a car drove down the street, you could say, hey, I made the windshield for that 50 Ford. I'm really proud of that. But we're, you and I are in the information service age. People are having a really tough time understanding why they matter. Why am I even here, right? So if you can take your employees and share with them, you know what, Laurie, it's really important that not only do you do these COVID tests, but you recognize that you're doing a great job because you make that patient who's already not feeling well and who's already struggling, you make them feel like they matter for that 15 minutes you're working with them. And that's really important to our team. And that's really important to our customer outcomes. And we really appreciate what you're doing. Do you understand kind of where I'm going with that? No, I love it. I think this is great. And I, I think it's really important. As you said, it's empowering and a, a fantastic leadership trait, actually, to just really let your team know that you appreciate them and their hard work and efforts are definitely contributing to the bigger picture and the, the success of everything. Right. Because as leaders, oftentimes, unfortunately, because it's such a stressful position, we make it about us. How am I going to meet all of my goals? Well, once you recognize that as soon as you make anything about you and no one else, that's a recipe for disaster. But when you look at your team and you say, you know what, we're in this together. I need your help. People will respond and they'll respond bigger than you could possibly ever imagine. So here's a for instance. Most people think that passing along direction is the same thing as leadership. So the main character in our book, Cynthia, is a district manager who's basically starting out the book with a really low employee satisfaction rate, and her boss is thinking about firing her. But instead, what he does is he hooks her up with a mentor in hopes that he's giving her a chance to raise that employee approval rating. And But Cynthia thinks that like I said, passing along direction is the same thing as leadership. Well, it's not because when you say, Lori, you're going to have this done by 7 p.m. on Friday or else you're going to be written up, that's, that's Lori just basically resists that. Lori doesn't have any idea how she's going to get it done. And basically, you're creating burnout and fear. You're literally manufacturing burnout and fear in your organization. But if you look at your team and you say, guess what, guys? We've been given a goal that we have to accomplish A. What do you think are the best possible solutions for us to make that happen as a team? All of a sudden, people start inputting, people start sharing their ideas, people start sharing their advice, people start brainstorming. You see, because people will always support whatever they co-create. If we come up with a solution, then everybody works hard to accomplish that goal. But if I tell you what you're going to do, and I tell you by when you're going to do it, if you're like me, you develop an instant resistance to that. Do you not? Oh, I love that. I love the we people support what we co-create. I think that's 
there's a lot of truth to that. Well, and, and people will also actually form your destruction, actually plan your failure when they feel like your life matters to you more than their life matters to you. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're not working with Lori, the pharmacy technician. You're working with Lori, the mom who just happens to be a pharmacy technician. You're working with somebody's wife. You're working with somebody's mother, somebody's spouse, somebody's uh, children. You're somebody's child. You're probably somebody's sibling. You're also probably in organizations. You're a podcaster. So you see people bring all this stuff to work with them. And if they feel like you don't care about them as a person, there's only so much effort that they're willing to give. And if they feel like you're sabotaging them as a person, they're going to work to sabotage you. So when you're intentionally driving people to burnout and, and failure, they're going to respond in kind. They may not know that that's what they're doing, but subconsciously, that's how we're wired as human beings. We're wired uh, as competitive spirits. But what actually is true, as you well know, is when we develop ourselves as people who think in abundance, there's more than enough success to go around. There's more than enough approval and appreciation to go around. All of a sudden, the whole paradigm changes and everybody wins. I love that. And I can see how you really help um, engage and in, increase excitement, optimism, and enthusiasm as, 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 you, as was mentioned in the bio. So let's really talk about uh, networking, which is the, the big picture of the show here. Um, Corey, can you share with our listeners one of your favorite networking experiences that you've had? Oh, absolutely. And this is the reason I wanted to be on your show, because this is the most fun thing that's ever happened to me. So when I got out of pharmacy school, I was 23 years old. And quite frankly, I was extremely cocky. I was way overconfident. And I really, really wanted to just hit the world like a battering ram, right? So I go to work my very first day and they said, you know what, we're really busy here and we don't have time to train you. So you just counsel customers. So I stood there for the first day and I just would say, Laurie, take this with food. Laurie, take this on an empty stomach. Laurie, don't take this medicine with that medicine. And on the walk home, I recognized that if I had to do that for 45 years, I, I just didn't think I could take it. So I was thinking maybe I should go back to school. But then I had an idea. I said, what if I took a different approach? What if I created a competitive advantage and just had a lot of fun at work? So whenever someone would come into the pharmacy, I would just look at them and go, hey, what did you do to your leg? And they said, oh man, let me tell you about my leg. And then I would say, Lori, that is an awesome shirt. Where did you get that? And she'd say, oh, let me tell you about the shirt and so forth. And then I started really having fun. And what I noticed was that people started calling the pharmacy asking for me if they had a medicine question. We weren't talking about medicine at all at the window when they were there to pick it up, right? Because they were tired. They had been at the doctor's office forever. And quite frankly, I thought medicine was boring. And so then I started asking them better and better questions. You know, Laurie, you look like you're really a successful lady. Can you tell me what's made you so successful? And then Laurie would start sharing the secrets to what made her successful. And then I would say to another person, you know, you, you look like you're kind of struggling today. You seem down and out. What's going on? And then they would share their problems. And then I might share Lori's solution. You know, I was talking to this lady last week and she was saying to me that when she had that problem, this is what she did. And all of a sudden, what I started recognizing is that there are similarities between 
between people who are successful and what they do. And there are similarities between people who are unsuccessful and what they do. And I also noticed that everyone goes through problems. Everyone goes through trials and tribulations. And there are similarities between ways to make things better. So what I wanted to do was take it from the people who were killing it and give it to the people who were getting killed. And so I started what we would have called today relationship marketing back in 1990 when I first got out of pharmacy school. And what I recognized is that every one of us, Lori, is a human being. And every one of us doesn't want to be treated like a customer. They want to be treated like a person. All too often, we go into networking situations, networking events, and we treat you like a client. And you don't get to be a client until you say you get to be a client. That's why you'll never hear me refer to a pharmacy patient as a patient. You will hear me call them a customer because a customer is someone who's walking into your store with the ability to try out your service, but they don't become a patient until they say they become a patient. So what I'm finding is that if you can treat each and every person with those seven laws of 21st century leadership that I talked to you about, about how they need to be appreciated, they need to be connected with, they need to feel like they're contributing in some way to the overall benefit of your life. What happens is that's what's real networking, in my opinion. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's great. I I think those are fantastic stories that you're sharing and a great experience. And I love how you, you took the initiative to change your own experience in, in your profession. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Excuse me. Um, so as you continue to grow and expand your network, how do you stay in front of and best nurture these relationships? Well, that's the big trick, isn't it? Follow up because what happens is we can have these amazing relationships that last, you know, for the moment, and then all of a sudden they fade away. So one of the things that I do is I actually do two things. I use some of the systems that are what we call CRM systems, where you can actually put people's names and information into your system and keep track of them uh, on a database and actually reach out to them. But I also do something that few people want to do today is I actually use a notebook and a piece of paper and I make notes. I I write down, this is what Lori's interested in. This is what Lori thinks is important in life. And if I see an opportunity to reach out, I reach out. I think one of the things that's happened in our society is we, we get overly impressed with the idea that it's possible to act like a weirdo. It's possible to stand out by being, I don't want to say too friendly. You know, if you say to somebody, uh, you know what, that's a really cool shirt, ma'am. Where did you get it? Sometimes people are afraid that that's being too forward or too aggressive. But what I find is that if you think it's a cool shirt and you're just coming from a genuine space of, man, that's a cool shirt, I find that it's a worthwhile thing to say. And I cannot tell you that there is even one time in my life that that's backfired on me. Obviously, you need to be appropriate. Obviously, you need to make sure that the things you're doing and the things that you're complimenting people on or the things that you may be sending people are actually from a genuine space of concern and not from a, hey, if I send Lori uh, a gift, 
then maybe she'll send me a client. Recognize that part of my bio is I'm a go-giver coach and the go-giver is a business book written by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And one of the things that they talked about was lose the scorekeeping mentality and just be a really kind person and just be somebody who's really genuine and affords people a space to where they want to do business with you. And then what you'll find is that people will always do business with people they know, like, and trust all other things being equal. Does that make sense? I love that. And um, I'm definitely a fan of the book, The Goal-Giver. That's probably one of my top 10 favorite books that I, and top 10 books that I recommend to people as well. That's a fantastic read. And the thing about Bob Berg and John David Mann is they are just that way. Bob Berg will reach out to you and he will tell you when he thinks that you're doing great on something and he will share your blog, for instance, he shared many of my blogs. And he will also then privately message you and say, you know, you put this in a blog. I wonder if we could talk about that because I don't think that you meant to say it this way. So, you know, adding service on both ends, praising people publicly and then coaching people privately. And that's a thing I think that the successful thinker talks about is really what we call the law of appreciation. You know, praising people publicly and praising people as though they matter. And that's whether it's your family, your spouse, a coworker, the lady at the Dairy Queen who just did a great job with you, really helps you feel like you're operating from a space of I am alive to motivate and inspire others. Don't you find that that's a great feeling, Lori? I love that. And I just wrote down praise publicly, coach privately. I think those are really um, powerful words and actions to take in. I think so too, because I think one of the things that it's really easy today is that we already said that you and I have many plates spinning in the air and it's really easy to take shortcuts with people. And I think that's where we get into trouble. You know, I'm just going to offhand mention this to my technician because I'm in a hurry and this thing happened and I got emotional about it. And then all of a sudden I'm creating a scar that lasts months and months and months. Instead of actually taking a few deep breaths, doing what Dr. Stephen Covey suggested and lengthen the space between what happens and how we respond to it. And then saying, you know what, this thing happened. Can we talk about it? I'll give you a, a, for instance, I had a store manager just explode on me once because one of my technicians refused to wait on a customer because she didn't get off her cell phone. And then the customer complained to the store manager and he just exploded. You can't do this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about how the technician felt. Let's talk about how the customer felt. Let's talk about how you and I felt. And all of a sudden we realized it's really important that when we as pharmacy professionals, for instance, give people information, that they receive that information. So the technician was coming from a space of concern that the lady not hurt herself. And the lady was in a hurry. So she just sort of did one of those things you do in a hurry. And the store manager was in a hurry. So he just sort of did one of those things that you do in a hurry. And fortunately, I had the wherewithal at the moment to lengthen the space. So we created a, I hate to use the word policy, I really do, but we created a policy that you couldn't 
offer to wait on the person when they were done with their call, but in no way, shape or form, could you make them feel slighted or that you were snotty towards them? And the, mm-hmm. and the whole thing worked out well, but it's really important to understand that all of a sudden you've got four emotions in a, in a uh, traffic accident of a customer. And we need to recognize that as leaders, our emotions play in, but our intellect has to override our emotions. Yeah. Wow. You've got some really solid information that you're sharing here. <laughs> I've got a fun one for you, Corey. So if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? Okay, so this is really, really important. I have a great story that that happened, and, and I paid some attention to it, but not as much as I should have. So one day I was the pharmacist and I had a technician, Debbie, and Debbie is waiting on this young lady who is just bawling her head off. And the lady is upset because she had just been fired from her job. And she was upset that there's no job security anymore or anything like that. And the customer that I was waiting on was an old man named Frank. And Frank was mean. And the reason I was waiting on Frank was because everyone else was scared of him. And Frank looked at me and he said, Corey, there's no such thing as job security. He said, I made a fortune in transistor radios until someone came along and invented the television. He said, when I was a young boy, I remember seeing the blacksmith sitting on his hands. Here he's got the biggest house in town and he's got no work because the automobile has now rolled off the line. And so I started this coaching career and I started um, writing and I started, you know, doing things that would give me an opportunity in case pharmacy dried up. But one of the things I didn't take into account was that all of a sudden, before you know it, you're in your 50s. And you may not have the health or the opportunities that you do in your 20s. So if I could give myself advice, it would be save more money, focus more on your health, focus on developing those relationships earlier and strengthen those relationships that give yourself opportunity. And if I could sum all of that up into one sentence, Brian Tracy, who's written 50 or 60 books on leadership and personal development and so forth, said this, the business of life is to give yourself options. So I would offer to your audience that whatever they do, they should always be looking down the road at their next career, their next situation, making sure that they're constantly developing their skills, especially their leadership and people skills. Because even in 2020, even with COVID, even with everything that's going on, people's skills are the one set of skills that has not gone away in terms of opportunity. Yeah. Wow. That's great. I love that. I love the, I love how you summarized it all up into the quote from Brian Tracy, um, who I'm definitely a fan of. He's got lots of, lots of good nuggets of information that he shares. Um, but yeah, money, health, uh, relationships, uh, all of those are really powerful things to be sharing. And I hope anyone that is in their twenties and is listening is, is taking some, some solid notes and hopefully the opportunity to implement some of them. So Corey, I'm going to kind of give you an opportunity to ask me a question right now. So what's something that you'd like to ask me? So, so Laurie, when you go to work with another person, let's say you wanted to give them a task that you need them to complete by a certain date, how would you go about that? 
Um, well, I sit down and say these are map out the expectations and communicate. Um, I, I am a fan of communicating the why and defining the the deadline when I need it by, um, and making sure that they understand what it is that I'm asking of them and also letting them know that if they do have questions uh, to let me know in advance of hitting that deadline. So that's brilliant because one of the things that we fail to do in leadership is we fail to really help people understand why they're doing what they're doing. A lot of times what we don't understand in leadership is that no one wants to waste their time anymore. People aren't in the business anymore of working for 40 years and then getting a gold ring. So I appreciate that about you. And let me share that was really wise leadership on your part. Thank you very much. I know personally, I am curious as to why I'm doing things. And when I, before I had my own business and I was working under someone else, someone asked me to do something. And I, I was that employee that said, well, why, why are we doing it this way? And why does this have to be done? Because I wanted to understand the big picture. Um, so I, my assumption that I'm making is that other people want to understand the why. And that's why I just typically give it <laughs> without them asking. Um, so I, I know that not everyone, you know, some people just want to be the doer and just want to do the job and not necessarily care about the big picture. But I find that I personally attract those that have the same level of curiosity that I do. So um, I'm willing to give that insights. I think that's really great because one of the things I think that if I was to, you know, mentor a, a young leader today, I would say, you know what, if you think it, the chances are that most people think it. Totally. Definitely a fan of that. Um, all right, Corey, do you have any final word or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Yes. I, I really think that one of the things you want to do is rethink the way you use your life in terms of, we've made a lot of shortcuts in this world with social media and with texting and with voicemail. And I just wanna really offer you an opportunity that exists now that didn't really exist 20 or 25 years ago. Nowadays, we really need people who specialize in emotional intelligence and specialize in seeing people as full people. I believe that it's a real opportunity because so many people have lost a lot of their interpersonal skills because of social media. So it's an opportunity for you to read books like The Go-Giver or The Successful Thinker and say, you know what, maybe I really need to recognize that if I want the people in my life to know how important they are to me, I have to treat them that way and I have to really do and say the things and I have to think of the things that make them know that their life matters to me. John C. Maxwell, somebody I'm a really big believer in who's written a ton of leadership books, he said it this way. He said, you don't have to have a lot of money to create an amazing event for someone else. What you have to do is pay attention and really focus on that person when you're in the room with them and be all there and save everything else for later because everything else will wait. I love that. I love that. And I love the emphasis on emotional intelligence. I think that is, there's a lot of truth to 
to that and, and those that do carry that or are investing their own time to to educate themselves on that topic are, are definitely going to um, not only go further personally and professionally, but they're going to be the ones that really elevate others to success as well. And, and can I also say that also what they get, you know, if you're ever wondering, what do I get out of emotional intelligence? What you get is this amazing feeling that you light other people up. I always say, Lori, basically there's two ways that life can happen. People can be really, really happy to see you or they can be really, really happy to see you leave. And if you choose properly, you'll guarantee that first one every time. And that in itself offers rewards that money can't buy you and Amazon doesn't sell. <laughs> yeah, that's really well stated. All right, Corey, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Well, everything that I do and everything that I'm about is at thesuccessfulthinker.com. And you can download a free copy of my book, The Successful Thinker. You can order a, a free copy if you're willing to pay the shipping through there. And you can just reach out to me by clicking one of the contacts and ask me a leadership question. If you've got a question, I will be happy to do my best to answer it. And if I can't answer it, I'll point you to a book that probably can. Thank you for asking, Lori. I love it. And we will include all that information in the show notes. Um, I know you've definitely piqued my interest and I'm, I'm going to get one of those copies of the books because I'm interested in learning more. We only talked about one of the laws and I know um, there's seven of them. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today, Corey. Oh, my pleasure. I really had fun. I hope you did. Oh, lots of good information that you shared. And I'm sure our listeners appreciated the fantastic insights that and stories um, that you conveyed to us. Thank you so much. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Corey for taking the time to connect with us. If you want to continue the conversation, please join our Facebook group. Go to facebook.com, search for Social Capital Network. If you need me, send an email to laurie at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.